This is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is your home for survivors like myself and those who are searching to find meaning to their why. In season two, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed immediately by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the business, marketing, coaching, and financial worlds. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed or has been edited. As a board-certified wellness coach, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it and subscribe. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Dr. Tim Jordan counsels young girls to become the fearless leaders of tomorrow. But when a silent health scare forces him to reevaluate his own choices, he soon discovers that his enduring love of service is the true reason for doing it. Hi, Tim. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Excellent. So what would you like coaching on today? Well, one, one issue I've had um, or a question in my mind is two years ago, actually it'll be two years, July 15th, I had uh, open heart surgery. I had no symptoms, totally healthy, nothing. And I got an urge to get a screening, like a calcium test, they call it. Because I'm at camp all summer, it's 100 degrees, I'm running around. I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm 64 at the time. And so I got this screening test in between the second and third camps. And it came back grossly abnormal. The score is supposed to be like 10, and mine was 740. Oh. I was like, whoa. And so I called my doctor, who, who's a friend of mine. He called a cardiologist, and they got me in really quick. And he did a stress test, and I aced the stress test. I had nothing. He kept saying, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I have nothing. And so then I did a bunch of tests in the next day or so, CT scans and everything. I had ended up having four things wrong with my heart that I never knew I had. Two congenital things. I had a congenital abnormal aortic valve. It had calcified. And I had a congenital too big heart, heart cardiomyopathy since birth. And because of the smaller valve, it hit, the pressure had, you know, bumped up. So I had an aneurysm just, just outside my aortic, uh, uh, my aortic valve. And um, I had, I had to have two coronary artery bypasses. So anyway, so I went to see the surgeon the next day, I was like, he was like, um, yeah, I got to do this repair is an open heart surgery. And I said, well, my, my next camp starts on Saturday tomorrow. And then when camp's over, we're going to Europe to run a father daughter retreat. And he looked at me and said, you're not going to Europe and you're not going to camp. Monday morning, eight o'clock, you're scheduled for you know the OR. I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, I had this surgery and they replaced the valve. They had to replace the aneurysm, you know, th that part of the aorta. They, uh, they did the two bypasses. They shaved heart muscle. They had to, they had to shave my heart muscle because it was so thick. And uh, it was like a six hour surgery. And I came out of it, came, uh, went home a week later. It was doing fine other than pain, I guess. And then I had a small stroke. Uh, it's common after that surgery to get a little aortic AFib. 
and it, it popped off a little clot. And so my wife took me to the hospital. I have no memory of any of this. And uh, I was in the hospital three days and came, I was fine. And uh, it was interesting, as soon as I had that, uh, that little tiny stroke, all my pain went away. My wife was like, do you need any medicine? I was like, what medicine? She's like, your pain meds. I was like, why do I need pain meds? To, to show you how, how powerful the brain is. I had no memory of the surgery. And the week after, I had no pain from that moment on. So anyway, I, 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 got, I did fine. I recovered. I'm doing great. I have no limitations. Um, but, but the question people ask me sometimes is, well, what's next? You kind of got a new lease on life. I asked the surgeon after the operation, I said, is there anything you found in there that surprised you? He said, your aneurysm was paper thin. It could have burst at any moment. You would have, you've been dead in 10 minutes. Now, I had been to two summer camps. I was running around like an idiot. I've been going down 150 foot slip and slides, you know, all kinds of things with no <laughs> thought. So, so people are like, you know, what, what, so what are you going to do? You have this new lease on life. And I've, I haven't had an answer for that. Um, because I, I love my life. I have a great marriage of 40 years and I love doing what I do. I love counseling kids. And I, so it wasn't like I had this crappy life and then this thing happens like, oh, now I'm going to do what I really want to do. It's more like I'm already doing what I, what I love to do. So, I, um, so I'm not stressed by it, but there's, I have this sort of dichotomy of I don't care because I love my life. But there's another part of me thinking, well, maybe you should be thinking about something more or I don't know, something different or more. So I guess that's the only thing that kind of on my plate. So what I'm hearing is that you had the surprise sort of heart sort of issue. And right now it's figuring out this quandary of what's next. Is that correct? Yeah. So what would a fantastic outcome for today's um, session be? Um, I guess um, maybe reassurance that it's okay not to uh, get a motorcycle or dump my wife or, you know, or whatever, that's okay. I, I did a podcast with a guy, you know, you ever hear of John O'Leary? Mm, yes. He's yeah, the guy who, who, you know, he was a little kid, he got burned with his body. He's a friend of mine. He lives in St. Louis here. We're on the board of Big Brothers together. And so he recorded me on a podcast about mm, four or five, six months ago. And we were talking about different things. And one of the things that I, I was telling him about this a little bit, he said, he said, I would die to be able to have the difference that you make day in and day out, one-on-one -on -one with these girls in your practice, the girls who come to your summer camps and your retreats. He said, because um, so, I was saying to him, I'd love to know how you have such a huge reach. He has hundreds of thousands of people who, who listen to his podcasts and buy his books and things. And I've always thought I'd like to have that kind of influence uh, more than whatever I have now with my podcast, my books and things. And he said, he said, you might want to think more so about appreciating that you're making the kind of difference that a lot of people don't get a chance to make. And, and I am aware of, of that, but I guess I, it, it struck me as, well, maybe I'm, maybe I just need to be quote unquote satisfied or content with that is my, my purpose. Mm. Does so that make sense so, what I'm saying? Yeah. So the outcome for today's session is sort of figuring out that purpose or figuring out something to do with that purpose. Is that correct? Or, or just to, to be okay with, I'm, I'm in alignment. I don't need to make any big things. It's okay. I don't need to, it's okay. I don't need to like change. Like people are like, well, what are you going to do? What's your new lease on life? It's like, well, I don't know. I kind of like my life. I'm, I'm not like unhappy in any, in any of the, any of the facets. What is it about your friend's life that you find inspiring? I like the fact that you know, I've 
I'm 66 and I've written six books and I've written hundreds of blogs and articles and I've done, I think, 150-ish podcasts. I've traveled all over the world. I've traveled to 18 countries giving talks and things. And I've always had this sense of, I would love to write a book or, and have, you know, 500,000 people read it so that I could really make a difference. Because I think I have some really good experience of working with kids. I have a very unique experience of sitting in circles at camps and retreats. I really, that's been, that's been 30 years. This summer is our 30th anniversary of summer camp. So I, I feel like I have a unique perspective on, on how girls think and how they feel, what's going on, the adversities. And so I'd like to be able to reach more parents. I'd like to be able to reach more kids. Um, I've written five or six children's books and have been rejected like you know, hundreds of times, not hundreds, but 50 times. And so I'd like to be able to have my, what I think is important information go out more so that more people would hopefully gain gain by it. I guess that's, that's a, well, I'm, um, I like the fact that my friend John is reaching so many people. What do you think sort of the day-to-day um, sort of is involved in, in that process of reaching that many people? Well, he, what I think is true of John is he is like a staff of people like who are like doing his media stuff and post. I, I don't know. I, we're supposed to, we were trying to get together to have dinner, but COVID hit. Cause I wanted to pick his brain. This is like a year and a half ago. And we, I just texted him the other day and said, Hey, are we about ready for dinner? He's like, yeah, let's do it. Um, but anyway, uh, but I think for him, it was probably singularity of, per, of what he does. I think, although he does speak, he travels a lot and speaks. And he just brought his second book out recently, but, but I think he probably has a support staff of people who do the marketing and do the social media stuff. Whereas for my wife and I, it's been my wife and I who don't know anything about, well, that's not true. But, you know, we're not marketers or social media people. So we've done little bits of hiring people. Um, we, we hired a publicist for my second book about, um, how many years ago was it? Um, I guess about 15, well, 10 or so years ago. Um, I had a book published by Putnam Penguin, you know, like a big, real, real big publisher. So we hired a publicist, paid the money for two or three months prior to it coming out. And it came out the first week in September of 2001. And then something happened a week later, which distracted us all, right? To, you know, 9-11. Yeah. And so we got no radio interviews, no nothing, because obvious for obvious reasons. And my, I wrote another book. I've written several books since then, but the one I came out this recently, is called She Leads, uh, a practical guide to raising girls who advocate influence and lead. But it came out like the first week in March of, the, of uh, 2020. And then COVID hit. And so nobody wanted to talk about anything but that. I, I'm not blaming. It's just that it seems like uh, there's been little blocks um, along the way. And so, uh, and we've, we've done some small efforts at hiring people to do that, but we don't have a lot of money. We, we live comfortably, we live fine, but we don't have, you know, thousands and $100,000 to invest in like a full-time marketing person, blah, blah, blah. So I, that's, I guess I'm blaming it on that, but that's one of the things I think that probably has helped him catapult him. Plus he's, he's good at what he does. He, he's got, he's a great writer and he's a, he's a really great, great guy. He's got a great story. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my take on it. 
What do you think the challenges are for your friend? Um, uh, I would say one of them is he has three kids. My kids are all in their 30s. Um, he has three kids that, that, that are kind of in high school, middle school, maybe grade school-ish age. So um, I'm thinking for him, but I, just balance being able to spend enough time with his kids because he does travel a fair amount. Uh, not with COVID, but you know, prior to COVID, probably now, he's probably picking back up like we are. But I, I would say balance, making sure he's got enough time to be home might be one of his challenges. Um, I don't know, I guess that's, that's the only thing I can think of um, off the top of my head. He, he seems like he's got a, a well-oiled machine. Whatever, is, whatever machine he's got going is, is working. So I, I don't know that, you know, I guess keeping it going would be the other thing. Being fresh, keeping fresh. That's one of the things I think I, I've done well is I keep reading and I keep listening. And so we've evolved, we, we keep evolving. I think that's probably helped our camps be 30 years old and keeping me quote unquote relevant. <laughs> Relevant enough to be on your show, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> what do you, what do you, uh, what do you, um, you surmise? So, do you need to do to to sort of like mirror his life? How would that happen? Well, my my thought has been well. That's why I wanted to pick his brain. But my thought would be, we have to find some way to find somebody, not me, because I don't like to do the detail things. Like when I like even like when I put a podcast out, I, I link it to my two Facebook things, my Twitter thing, now Instagram and, and also LinkedIn. And that kind of stuff is like <sighs> drains me because then there's a little glitch and I'm not that great with technology. And, and so that stuff drains me. Um, so I would need I think um, we would need to have somebody who's that's their sole focus is doing that. And they like it and they're good at it so that I don't have to do it and they're, they'll be better at it. We have like a camp, one of our camp counselors, she's a, in college. Uh, we're hiring her very part-time, right? Starting now to start investigating podcasters who have shows with a you know big audience. Um, because if I can become a guest, I think, this is one of my thoughts, on some of those shows, like your show, for instance, that more people will hear about me. Then maybe more people go, oh, that guy sounds interesting. Let me look at his, his online course for parenting girls or look at his book or whatever. So, um, but, but I don't have time and I don't to do that sort of research and to try and get phone numbers or emails. So we're, we're paying her something just this summer, at least to get started in making a list. So I guess that's, but then she'll go back to college and she's in nursing school. So I'm not sure what happens then. We, we need somebody, but we haven't been, able, I guess, willing to spend big bucks on that. So you mentioned earlier sort of about reaching more people. What is... What is the dream, Tim? Well, I, I, I've always said that um, I'd like to be, have enough of a, of a name and enough credibility, quote unquote, and wisdom that if there's a problem in the world with kids and they're looking for, <clears throat> excuse me, an expert to call to say, hey, what do you think about this? Or how should we be looking at this? That I'd be one of the people on that list. That I'd have a level of credibility where they would listen to what I had to say because I have... I have great, I think I have good, in, great. I have good insight and I have good experience. And I think I have a lot of wisdom over 30 something years of working with kids. So that's, that's one of the things I've always wanted was to be um, the kind of person who could, um, people would reach out to and say, Hey, we need help. We need some information or we need a different perspective or 
what should parents do or like, like how should parents be approaching their kids with COVID or there's a lot of anxious kids because of COVID. What should we do about that? I would like to be the kind of person that can uh, be a spokesperson for kids. That was one of the things I used to make a, I'm sorry. I used to make a drawing of like all the different things I did and it's a blessing and quote unquote, maybe a curse because that's one of the, the things I used to think was I'm doing so many things, which is what I like to do because it keeps me fresh and, and energetic. But on the other hand, I'm not putting all my eggs in any one basket to really push this one thing. But I used to have all these spokes and in the middle of the spoke was Nash, international spokesperson for children. That was kind of like my overall, like, that's what I like. That was, that's what I kind of came up with. That's what I, my uh, purpose was to be an international spokesperson for kids. An international spokesperson for kids. Yeah, speak for them and speak about their needs and what, and how to be parented. Or, I mean, I, I involve parents and other people too, but in professionals, but it's more, more or less just to uh, advocate for them and to let people know how they think, how they feel, what they need. What do you think is the singular sort of desire of most of the girls that you counsel? Um, to be heard, to be seen, uh, to be loved, to be understood. To be heard, to be seen, to be loved, and to be understood. Oh. I think beneath everything that they else did ask for, that's probably underneath what they're really really wanting or needing, like, like all of us. And if you were able to create that life that you said about reaching more people, do you feel that you would, that would fulfill those needs for you as well? The being seen, the being loved, the being heard? Um, I guess it would fulfill the need of being heard. You know, years ago, I, I did it like a two, my wife and I did a two year training process. We went to a weekend retreat, like a personal growth retreat. This is back in 1988. You probably weren't even born yet. And um, uh, it was great. I had never done anything like that. Uh, I went to high school, college, medical school, residency, two years of fellowship. I got plopped out when I was, I think, 33. Wow. Never really having stepped back to say, what's going on or what am I doing or what's, is this right for me? So that two-year training process to teach these retreats was my huge, huge um, experience with personal growth and awareness. And it was, it was incredible and, and invaluable. Um, and anyway, I, about a year or two after all that, uh, I was at one of those training things and the guy who was one of my mentors, I was complaining that I wasn't as fulfilled as I used to be with giving talks and running some retreats, something of that sort. I remember he, he turned, I was in the back seat of this van. He was in the front. He turned around and said, your problem is not giving talks and what you're doing. He said, your problem is, is why you're doing it. He said, you might want to think about what's your intention for what you're doing. And so I, when I thought about it, um, being the third of eight kids, um, I think it was hard to be noticed at home. And I was like the good kid. I had two older brothers who were naughty and they got caught smoking pot and <laughs> screaming at my mom. And I had five younger sisters. So somebody was always crying or something. So I was a good kid who got good grades and was very independent and easygoing. And so I think it was kind of like, he's fine. Let's go put out these fires. And so I, I, I became aware that I think part of the, the value for me in giving the talks and things was uh, to be applauded, to be noticed, 
because that's how I got noticed slash loved. I think growing up was like um, by what I did, you know, by getting a good report card that got put in the refrigerator, you know, that sort of thing. And so I, um, I realized that uh, I was too dependent upon people saying, oh my gosh, that was a great talk, or you changed my life, or blah, 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 you know, and that would fill me up, but it wasn't filling me up for very long anymore. And so, so I, I spent some time thinking and doing some whatever, soul searching. And so I, I shifted my intention from that to being of service. I decided that's going to be my, my thing. And I remember I, did, I wrote up my mission statement around that time. I read Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that's, you know, began with the end in mind. And one of the exercises was to write your own eulogy, which I did, and also to you know, do a mission statement. And that was at the forefront of my mission statement was to be of service. I developed, I didn't develop, I took on a mantra of the first line of the prayer of St. Francis, which is, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. So before I give talks to this day and do things, I always just say that to myself, like just stay focused on, you're here to be of service. You're not here to be the best or be better than your brothers or be competitive. You're here to be of service. And that, right, shifted that, whatever it was, 30 years ago, it made all the difference in the world. Um, so I don't feel like it's a, right now my need is to be like applauded and all that. I, I, don't, I feel like I've, I've grown way past that a long time ago. To me, it's more about, um, I guess, I, I guess I, I value what I, what I've learned uh, for all the work that I've done and all the reading I've done and the research, but mostly but being with kids, not every day, but almost every day. I really feel like um, my purpose is to let people know about that. Sam, I'm, I'm curious. Do you think that sort of heart scare had a message for you? Well, I, I've been more, I've been more consciously grateful, expressing gratitude since then. I, I did that, but I, I did that before the, the surgery and all that because I'd, I had written some blogs about it. I'd done research about the values of gratitude and all. So I feel like I, um, I was doing pretty good with that, but I think I'm more day by day grateful. Um, but other than that, I don't know. It didn't, I wasn't going fast. And it was like, I needed to slow down. I don't think that's true. Um, and even though I'm 66, I don't ever plan on retiring. Um, unless, I mean, if I ever, don't like what I do. I just do something different. I'm, I'm in charge of my schedule in my life. So I, that's, that's part of what, you know, you asked me, what, what's your question? My question was, I, I don't know. I don't know that I have some new different purpose out there that I haven't figured out. I, um, or, or even if I need to, I, it's almost like one of those should things. Well, then you should have, you had an epiphany moment. You know, you should therefore have this, oh, this is why my new thing I woke up from my sleep and now I'm going to go down this different path. I haven't had that sort of um, experience, at least up till now. I'm going to ask you a big question now. What, what do you, what do you think you want to be your, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, I got a really nice father's day card from one of my sons uh, a couple of days, whatever it was, a couple of days ago. And one of the things he said was he really appreciated how he had watched me growing up. He's 32 now. Um, and he, he saw how much I was being of service to people. 
And he said to this day when he said, sometimes I'm not in that mindset enough. And so when he said, when I do things like more to be of service, he said, I always think of you. So that, that really touched me. That was really meaningful. I guess part of my legacy to me is, is the girls that I work with. I'm, I'm watching them become camp counselors. I'm watching them be camp instructors. I'm watching them become mothers. Well, I just talked to a mom this morning. She lives in Atlanta and she was a camper for years and a counselor. Now she, her daughter, who's I think 11 is coming to our camp this summer. Um, so seeing that's one of the most fulfilling things for me has been to watch girls who I met when they were eight or nine and now they're thirties and how awesome they are and how um, socially, emotionally intelligent they are and how when they go to college and they get into a sorority, they become the leader of the sorority. And, you know, I, I, not, I guess I'm not sure if that's a legacy, but my legacy about being uh, an important part of their life that made a difference. Um, I guess that's I guess that's one one thing that comes to my mind first. Beyond your family and beyond sort of the, the difference you make in the lives of, of of the you know girls you serve, what are some adjectives of things that you would love people to say about you when it's all said and done? Um, I guess, uh, uh, supportive, uh, funny, um, uh, mentor, uh, father figure, um, uh, something about being of service, you know, service oriented or, um, that he walked his talk. Um, that's not an adjective, but walking your talk, whatever that the adjective would be for that. Um, creative, focused, um, loving. I remember being a kid with my younger sisters and like being their substitute dad, yeah, or not substitute, their, their second dad, because my dad was always gone supporting, you know, eight kids. So I would, my two youngest sisters were nine and 10 years younger. So I diapered them and babysat and whatever. But I remember even as a kid wanting to be a dad. Um, and I think it's because I always liked working with kids. I mean, I, I worked with kids when I was a kid. I umpired Corey League Baseball. I worked at summer camps. I did all kinds of stuff. So I always knew I wanted to work with kids. And I also knew even way back then I wanted to be a dad. And uh, so I really, I really enjoy being like a now it's almost like a grandfather figure, but like a father figure for some of these girls who don't have a dad in their life or who have a dad who's not there or a dad who's not present. Or So that's one of the things that I, um, I value a lot is the fact that I can step in when, when the girls have needs like that and, you know, for at least a little bit, f- fulfill that role for them, which I think is important. So if one of your girls came up to you and be like, Tim, I'm really struggling with sort of trying to get my message out and I'm coming across these roadblocks. What would you, what's the advice you would give? If there's, wait, say it again, if they're struggling to get their message out. Yeah. You know, they're sort of struggling with, 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 you know, with yourself. They're happy with what they're doing, but they want to reach more oh. people or they're just finding roadblocks. How would you, how would you counsel them? Um. I guess the first thought that popped in my head was um, stay focused, uh, focus on one thing at a time and don't get too scattered. 
um, trust yourself, um, trust your gut, trust, trust your intuition. Um, don't be afraid to reach out for support. Those are, I guess those are the things that, that pop in my head. So how could you focus on one thing and not get distracted given the, given the quandary that you spoke of earlier? Um, I guess, I mean, it would be doing less things. I guess that's one, one way to do that, but that, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to give up. <laughs> I think eventually the first thing that's going to probably go is my counseling practice because when I'm there, I enjoy it. I had some really cool kids this week, um, several girls, girls, women who are in college. It was, I like coaching them. So I, I wouldn't miss that. Uh, on the other hand, if I'm at home, which I work at from home a lot, if I'm at home and I'm working on a podcast or I'm writing up something and researching, I've got two big screens, I got stuff open and it's like, oh crap, I have to go to the office and see patients. That's the only time I go, Ugh. I only see patients two days a week. So I don't want to sound like I'm whining. <laughs> it's not like I'm working 80 hours a week in the office, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what I would give up. Um, if I had you hold in one hand, if I had you hold in the left hand, your, you know, your practice, and then sort of this other stuff that you're doing, the writing and the podcast, which is closer to your heart? Um, well, I think um, I love to, I love to write, I love to read research. I'm a good put ideas together person taking a bit from here and a bit from there and a bit from my experience. And then this story I heard and that I think I'm good at that. So I really, I get really into flow kind of when I do that, but I think I also get really engaged when I'm with kids in any way. Um, I think, you know, I light up. I think I get really engaged quickly. So whether it's in the office um, or whether it's uh, a week, let me think about a week and a half from now, we have our first week of summer camp. So I'm really getting jacked up because, you know, there's going to be 50 kids there. Um, and plus our staff, which I, all, all of whom I've known for a long time. So, so um, that, that's, that really lights, you know, lights me up or lights a fire in me. Um, when I'm in the office doing work and I, you know, I see a girl really get a light bulb go, go off or something, then that's, I feel good about that too. But I guess that would be the less than what the other things. I think being with kids, like groups of kids, um, and also probably being at, at where I'm at right now at my desk, writing, reading and stuff like that. That's probably floats my boat more than, than the office right now, the one-on-one. -on -one. Although I'm seeing more and more college age women, I'm doing more coaching and I'm really liking that. So I told my wife recently, about 15 years ago, I started cutting out boys from my counseling practice <laughs> just because it was just not my thing. It was okay, but I kept whining and I, then I realized, why am I whining? I'm totally in charge of what I do. So I stopped seeing these kind of boys, like boys who had ADD or something. And I stopped seeing angry, I don't know. Eventually there's like, I said, why am I doing this? So I stopped seeing boys. And um, so it may be that I'm going to start cutting out girls other than high school and girls, girls who are in high school and college. Because I'm, those are more fun for me. 
Um, there's less work with parents, if I can say that. That sounds horrible, but it's just with the kids. You know, I'm with them, which most, I mean, for the most part. So that's, um, that's probably next on my list of things to cut out is just younger kids. So I anyway, always have to give my could... wife some lag. I have to give my wife some lag time. You know, she's like, woo, 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 like, just like with the girls, it's okay. We'll get more girls. <laughs> Sorry. No. Can you create a hybrid model between the writing and the, the podcast uh, along with working with some of these older girls? Well, I already have, I think, you know, I, you know, I only we have the weeks of summer camp and then we have the weekend retreats. We have six of them during the school year. And then we pre COVID we were traveling about eight, 10, 12 times a year, which isn't that much. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, once or twice a month, there's like be a little flurry. Like this fall we're we have three weekend retreats, father, daughter retreats out of, out of state. Um, but they're within like a six week period. And then there won't be one of those for three months or two months. So it, it's kind of sporadic. So I already have, I, I think I've created a nice hybrid where I get to do a lot of different things. Um, I think you know, if, for instance, I love, I love writing children's books. I love stories. I would love to get some of those published and then, and then have that be like another line of <laughs> things that I do. Cause I really enjoy that. But, you know, but I, so far I haven't had a, uh, I haven't had a taker. Yeah, I had a taker. What do, what do you suppose is you know they call it USP, you know unique selling proposition. What do you think your unique selling proposition is that you, that that Tim offers that no one else offers? Um, a long. <laughs> let's see. A long history of in-depth knowledge of, of kids, in and out, inside and out. That I really know what makes kids tick. And I, and I really I have a bird's eye view. I have a heart heart level view of what they need and what they want and what they lack, and 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 also how to work with them in a way that it's, they get it. To work with them so that they get it. So going back earlier, we spoke a lot about sort of what's next. So how does this all, I don't know, shake up for you? What do you mean? Just in the sense of like us, you know, speaking about what's next and the fact that you love your life, but you had this health scare. And now you're sort of figuring out that you want to veer more towards the older girls and sort of adding more writing and, and um, you know, podcasts to the mix. How does this all sort of feel for you, like in terms of next steps? Um, well, I've been I've been sort of doing that. I've been sort of working. I've been doing that anyway. I, I spend way more time now at this desk writing and stuff than I did ten years ago. Um, that's when I probably started the blogs. And I, I guess the, my podcasts are, I don't know, five or six years old. So I've been doing more and more of that anyway. I stopped doing the children's books because I, I couldn't get anybody to take one or publish one. And then I got, I don't know if I got distracted, but you know, I had other projects that then sort of took over. Um, it might mean um, like right now, I'm, I'm not writing a book right now. I started a book actually. I had an idea to, for a TV series <laughs> of all things. I, I've been running a, a high school group for girls for the last gosh, 20 years. They meet uh, every two weeks like eight or 10 girls for a whole semester and oftentimes then the whole school year. And the last three or four years, I've had some really awesome 
groups, just wild. These girls are just talking and saying anything. So I thought, I, I started thinking I could write a book kind of like it called The Group. And as another way of showing what's going on for high school girls, you know, and uh, I got bogged down because I was writing it with two, all dialogue, which for me was harder to write than just writing whatever you call prose or whatever you call that. And I had the idea that be fun to, that, that could be a TV series where every week it'd be another week of group. So I thought maybe it, I should write it enough to, that I can send, try and find somebody to send it to where it could be made into a screenplay or whatever that's called for a TV series. Again, like, see, this is, I have ideas. I have all these projects that come up, which are great. And I love doing it. Um, so if, for instance, if, for instance, I, that idea comes to fruition and then somebody says, yes, we want to do this on Netflix. And so we need you to write up scripts. I would gladly drop something and because, you know, I would have um, a vehicle to be, you know, to have that voice. If I got a children's book published and they said, you know, write some more children's books for us, I would gladly start writing more children's books. But I, um, so at this point, I'm, I guess I'm, I don't know if I'm waiting, but I guess because uh, I'm, I'm always creating, making, writing, whatevering. Um, I'm not sure if I answered your question. I'm just sort of meandered. No. Sorry. No, I, I was just sort of wondering about accountability. How do you keep all those ideas sort of going and sort of still being accountable to yourself and getting it done? Um. I guess just by putting time in, like, like, I like for instance, this summer is busy because of what my son's getting married this weekend in Michigan, and we have a couple camp weeks coming up, and so this, like, in the last month, I I pumped out about five or six podcasts, so that you know they're done and they're in in the queue, so um, whenever things are like, I have some the camps are are. are coming very soon. So I've been preparing for that, writing up the curriculum, finding new stories. So when things are coming up, then I invest more time in that, right? I've written six books. So anytime I was in the middle of a book, then I, I can kind of hyper-focus on that for X number of months. Um, Cause I need, I've realized after writing those books that I really need like that really hyper-focus. Otherwise I'll write for a while. Then if I got distracted with a bunch of stuff, I came back as like, I have to start writing the damn thing. all oops, writing the thing all over again. Pardon me. Writing the whole thing all over again. So I, I'm pretty good at when I'm into something, I, I can really focus and, you know, hone in on it. Um, so I, I guess for me, I hold myself accountable by just knowing what's coming up and then, um, and then investing the time to be ready for it, prepare for it, to, create it, write it, you know, like with, with camps, I'm, I'm pretty much ready for the first camp because I, um, I, I, I was going to be gone this coming weekend for four days to the wedding and all that. So I've been sort of going through all the camps. If I got the supplies, you can probably, I'm going to show you, you can see the crap <laughs> on the floor over here, just bags and duffel bags. And, but anyway, so I guess for me, it's, I'm not sure if that's the same as holding myself accountable, but I guess for me, it's just, knowing what's coming up and then investing the time, energy and all that, and then checking it off the list. Does ah. that sound like what you're looking for? Yeah. So checking it off the list. So that's, that would actually go in line with some of those other loftier goals that you have. Is that yeah. correct? 
Cool. Excellent, Tim. So we're going to transition into that interview portion. Um, so tell my listeners more about you and you know what you do. Well, as you, I guess you've heard along the way so far, um, I do a lot of different things. And I, I, I haven't done medicine for 30 years. I was, I'm a pediatrician by my original background. So I, I've done my subspecialty, developmental behavioral pediatrics for those 30 years. And so I, I'm in the office a few days a week talking to girls. Um, and then I do the writing and all that. And I have the camps and the retreats and the, the talks and the traveling. And um, so I do a lot of different kinds of things. And then um, so I guess I, but all of it centers around um, supporting girls and supporting parents around raising daughters. That's kind of the, the common theme. And I think being of service and all those, those, all the things I do, I think are ways of being of service, whether it's writing or the podcasts or, you know, all the other things that we do, it's all about being of service. In your years of service, what's the biggest surprise that you've had? Hmm. Uh, well, I guess what pops in my head is, it doesn't surprise me anymore, but one of the things that used to surprise me was how unaware many parents are. One of my favorite authors is, is a guy named Anthony DeMello. He was a, a, a Jesuit priest from India, and he wrote about spirituality, but in a way that wasn't like churchy. It was like more like figure yourself out and become your best self and all this, to the point where the Pope banned his books years ago. <laughs> oh, but anyway, um, oh, I can't remember why I mentioned Anthony DeMello. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought you were asking about. No, I like what has surprised you in the years of um, oh, doing so one of his, yeah, one of the things that he said in one of his books was that most people are walking around life sleepwalking. I mean, in their right mind, in their awake, mindful mind, they would never do a lot of things that they do. And so, you know, I always look at people instead of judging them, thinking they're just asleep and they're sleepwalking through life. So it's, I guess one of the things that surprised me is how so many parents are so unaware of, of being around their kids and being distracted or the effect of, I just was looking some, through some forms about some kids I'm going to be working with and uh, parents who were divorced, you know, six years ago and they're still fighting um, parents uh, who are divorced. And then, you know, the dad hasn't seen her, his daughter for two years. Um, it's, I guess that those kind of things is surprising because I'm thinking to myself, like, I'll see some kids maybe at a weekend retreat or a camp, and they're just the coolest kids. I'm thinking to myself, why would you not want to spend time with, with this kid? And I even tell the girls that. I'll say, this is not about you. You're thinking to yourself, what's wrong with me? Am I not good enough? Am I not important? You know, things like that. And I said, who would not want to spend time with you? You're, you're, you're such a great, cool kid. This is about your, your mom and your dad. Just They're like sleepwalking. Um, hopefully they'll wake up. Um, you know, it really sort of struck me sort of this idea of the parents sleepwalking. What would you, I don't, if there's sort of youngsters listening to, you know, this particular podcast, they're sort of going through that and experiencing that with their own parents. What do you think they could do to shake that up? They could ask for time. 
They could let their parents know that they feel kind of left out. Even parents who are around, you know, we complain so much about all these teenagers are on their phones and they're scrolling their walls, but adults are as bad um, as their kids. They're just as addicted and, and spending a lot of time on those things. So their kids could, could um, have a family meeting and say, look, I think feel like we're all kind of distracted and I want to spend some time together. How can we make that happen? Um, that's one of the things they can do is to let people know how they feel and what they want. Um, but I, I guess, um, and the other part is because some parents are not going to change because, because of a million reasons. So that's, that's on them. You know, what are you going to, what are you going to do about that? And therefore, if your parents don't have it within them to be present because they're addicted to something or they're depressed or whatever, and then it's about, you know, how can I take care of myself? And one of the things you can do is not take it on, not take it personal. And the other thing is, I think this is true for most of us. This may not be true for you, but I think it's true for most adults. A lot of us had somebody in our life besides our parents who, who stepped in at, a, at certain moments when our parents just didn't have it for us because of their own upbringing, because of a life event or something. So I, I think it's really good for kids to, to look for other parents like their best friends. Like there's some kids who are in families where there's a lot of fighting. So like their refuge might be their best friend's house where the parents get along and they go there and they, they sit around and they play board games. And it's kind of like, you know, this is a, a better template for marriage and family than, than mine. So I, I encourage kids sometimes it's okay to seek out other, other um, mentors. There's a lot of good research about people who have followed kids who have been through big adversities. And that uh, the number one single best predictive factor for them to overcome it is having somebody in their life who is there for them. And it's not always their parents. It might be a, a grandma or a grandpa or an aunt, an uncle, a teacher, a coach, a, a mentor of some kind who was in their corner, who saw them for who they were, who could mirror back to them what they had, can't see in themselves yet. That, and so I think... Um, and that's that's what I would want for kids to know. It's also is it's okay to to find other other family if your family just can't do it for you at this moment in your life. I love that. Yeah, if there's a parent sort of listening, what kind of advice would you say, or a book, or something where they just find it difficult to connect? What would you what would you advise? Buy all of my books. Number <laughs> one. <laughs> And this, people ask me all the time, if you could just give one piece of advice to parents, like what could you do? I tell them do personal growth. Because there are many times I think when parents get stuck in their parenting, and it's not because they don't know what to do or like they're not very smart. It's because there's some old baggage or some old belief or some old something that's getting in the way. Um, there's, a, there's a concept called ghosts in the nursery that I learned back in my training 100 years ago. It was coined by Selma Freiberg, a very famous child psychiatrist. This is like back in the 60s. But what she meant was she was seeing women in psychoanalysis who were parents and they were struggling with their parenting. And she found that a lot of them had old baggage, quote unquote, from their past that was interfering. So that's what the ghosts meant, that those old feelings and old experiences were coming back to haunt them in their parenting. That's the ghost concept. And after 30 years of working with kids, I, there's a lot of things that can cause ghosts. It's not just about your past history. Um, 
that, that triggers us, that causes us to not be able to not lose our temper or not get triggered by our kids. So if you can do some work where you look at yourself and you clean things out and you let go of some baggage and you reframe things so that you can be present without bringing old stuff in, I think a lot of times then it's, then you can trust your gut much better with your parenting. You, you don't need to have 30 books. As a parent yourself, what are some sort of tips that you can offer? Um, in this day and age, be present. I'd really be mindful about when you're with them, be with them. And if, you know, especially with COVID parents had to work from home and, you know, there's lots of reality too. I can't spend every minute. Of course you can't. But when you're playing, if you're outside kicking around a soccer ball, don't bring your phone outside. When you're sitting around the dinner table, everybody put their phones away, put them off the table, out of sight, out of mind, you know, so, so you can actually really spend time together and, and connect. So that's one thing I would say to parents is it's really important because we used to do my wife and I an exercise. I haven't done it for a while with parents where we would have half the, half the parents leave a room and uh, I, would, I would be with the other half and I would say, those are gonna be your kids. They're gonna come into the room and pretend that they're like a five-year-old and they, they were outside and they caught a butterfly and they're gonna say, daddy, daddy, look at this butterfly. What do you think of my butterfly? And I say, the first time they come in, they're gonna kneel down in front of you so they're little. I want you to act really distracted. Like say, yeah, honey, that's great. Uh-huh, just a minute, uh-huh. Or maybe act like you're looking at your phone or actually they always have their phone. Look at your phone. And then we stop after 20 seconds of that. And we say to the kids, how are you feeling because of what your parents just did? And the kids don't say, oh, I just felt kind of ignored. They say, I feel unloved. I, I don't feel important. I don't feel special. Um, they feel some really deep feelings. And these are adults playing a kid for 20 seconds. So I said, I want you to understand that when you're distracted, it really does cut to the core for kids. They really feel like you don't care that you they're that they're not important that they're not special. There's there's something wrong with them, and I, so I I think that present piece is important. Um, follow their lead, um, and one let me give you one of the quick parenting things. One of my my pet peeves, not pet peeves. It's one of my soapboxes these day these days. Ask kids why they love doing what they love to do. So if your kid's drawing a picture, or if your kid loves to play soccer, if your kid likes to be in a play. If your kid likes to, to do whatever, ask them, you know, why do you like that? And then listen. Because too many times parents are asking me questions like, oh, how do I motivate my kid? Well, it's not your job to motivate your kid. They've got more than enough intrinsic motivation that you need to kind of just support that. So if you ask them, I was at a, at a father, father-daughter retreat in Canada about two years ago. And these are seven, eight, nine-year-old girls and their daddies. And we were talking to the dads about asking your daughters, why do you like doing what you do? And we had a session with the girls and their dads. And this little girl, eight-year-old, was sitting in her dad's lap in the front row. And so I said, hey, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. She looked really spunky. I said, what's your favorite thing to do? And she said, I love to dance. And I said, why do you love to dance so much? She said, well, when I first go out there, they they're always telling us what to do, what to do these certain steps. But once I get going, I can start doing my own steps. I love to create new things and just be out there and do my own thing. And then she stopped and she, and she said, I swear to God, she said, I love to be in control. <laughs> and her dad was sitting behind her like, wow, I never heard this before because he never asked. Why do you love gymnastics? Because that's her intrinsic. That's what she loves to do. If you can listen and mirror it back, they internalize it. That's always there for them. That motivation. 
Um, so I think it's really important. And also teaches your kids, I want you to do things for your reasons, not, because, not for me, not to please me, not to not disappoint me. And that can start when you're a little kid by asking you questions and just supporting your intrinsic motivation. So you start to think of yourself. Yeah, that's, that's a really great tip because it sort of allows them to feel independent in a way yeah. as opposed to. Um, so that when they're 18 and going off to college, it's not like they have to so suddenly become self-motivated. They've been self-motivated their whole life. And it's like, a, it's a small step as opposed to like, oh my gosh. So as a parent that sort of, let's say, didn't failed in their process of parenting correctly, how do they, how do they reach a troubled or a challenged child? I mean, if they, if, I mean, if there's been some adversity or some mistakes or whatever, Yeah, I would say by, first of all, I would be honest. Like you might sit them down and say, you know what? I know I haven't been around a lot lately. I've been really distracted because grandma was sick and I was going over and visiting her and taking care of her. I, I, I got a sense that, you know, you've been feeling kind of left out. So first of all, I want to apologize because I know that you have needs too. And so I want you, I want you, if you ever feel left out or you need something, ask me, I mean, I'm going to be more conscious of noticing anyway, but you also have a responsibility in letting people know what you need. So I would be honest with, Whatever it is, if it's a mistake you made or if there's something you wish you had done different, I would let them know that. So they see that you're not perfect either, that we make quote unquote mistakes and that um, we're willing to own up to it and then take responsibility for it. And so how do they reach that child who got into some really bad habits? Are they, say it again. How do they reach that child that got into some really bad habits or just hanging out with the wrong crowd or? doing drugs or how do they, yeah. how does that work? Well, if it's like severe, like they're doing lots of drugs and things, then they probably need somebody like me to talk to that may be not quite as simple as just having a conversation. But to me, you make it safe for them to be able to talk things and, and have heart to hearts. I, there's a, there's a metaphor I heard. I don't even know where I heard it years ago that I like it's called uh, the turtle in the hailstorm. So you're, you're just say your adolescent, your teenager is a turtle. And so it's, it's really normal for a, a turtle when they get to be 12 or 14 to start retreating a little bit into their shell, i.e. wanting a little bit more private time, having their own life and stuff like that, which is normal, right? Now their parents, the hailstorm, notice this and they, the kid isn't talking to them maybe quite as much. And plus there's all these, these, they're going to a big middle school. They don't know all the kids anymore. So they start to worry. And, and when parents worry, they tend to hail more, ask more questions, be more intrusive which really annoys the turtle. So they retreat further in their shell, which worries the parent even more, the hailstorm, they hail louder. So then there's this dance where they start pushing themselves to extremes. So I tell parents, your job is to stop hailing and to be present, be safe, be a good listener who doesn't end up judging your, your kids by what they say, but just trying to get in their shoes and see things from their point of view. And if you do that, then the turtle will feel more safe to come out of their shell and share a little bit more with you. And by the way, when I talk to the, to the girls, I tell them it's in your best interest to do that. If your parents get enough of you and you can explain to them, here's how I think about drugs. Here's what I think about vaping. Here's what I think about boys. Here's, here's how I'm thinking about my future. If you can give them enough information, your parents can go, oh, 
she's being thoughtful about this. She's not just some bimbo out there at the mercy of boys or whatever. I, so they can relax a little bit and hail less. So both sides have responsibility in being able to come together and, and hear each other better. Oh, those are, those are really, I, I, it feels so natural to have that type of conversation, but I could see the struggle between yeah. voicing that sort of that need. Uh, you know, it's, you know, in about two months, I have a nephew who's going away to college. So it's like the biggest transition <laughs> that a child yeah. sort of faces. What's that one piece of advice you would give a parent and that one piece of advice you would give a young, a young adult? I just had a, a, a woman, girl in my office uh, this week. She's going to college for the first time in, you know, in the fall. And her mom has been really oof, like uber involved, too much so. And so this girl's had a hard time kind of creating her own space. And she's, and she's very aware now, I've seen her twice now, that she's become too reliant on her family. And she knows that in a month and a half, it's going to be different. And so I said, you might want to start setting some boundaries now about um, things like when your mom texts you that she doesn't expect a response within five seconds. And before you leave for college, for instance, I would sit down with your family and say, look, let's talk about how we're going to communicate when I'm gone. She's going to be like maybe a thousand miles away, um, two states away anyway. And, uh, and so it might be that they, that she would, they make an agreement that says, look, well, how about we talk on every, every week, once a week, we'll have a nice long conversation. But I may call you in between or something, but if you call me or text me, I don't, I'm going away to college. I'm going away to get away, not because I hate you, but because I need to grow up and figure my own life out and make my own decisions. And it, it may not always look pretty, but that's one of my, my responsibilities. And I think for the parents, it's, it's also about, to me, it's, people ask that question like you just did. And it's kind of like, oh my gosh, in August, I got to let go. And that's why I said before, you let go when they're one. You let go when they're three. You let go when they're five. You start turning over more and more choice, choice making and decision making and, and their self motivation, being able to pick things and choose things. And because if you do that, for 18 years, then, then when they go off to college, it's not, it's not a big deal. It's like, other, because I remember, I remember when my daughter, our, our oldest, we, we went to an open house, not open house, it was a what they call it when, right before, before college starts, you, you go and schedule your classes and um, orientation for it orientation. Thank you. And so uh, she went away to about two hours away. So we drove down just for the day to this college with her because you're supposed to. And they had this person talking to all of us together about blah, 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 transition, blah, blah, blah. And then he, he said, okay, now your, your sons and daughters are going to go with these people and then they're going to schedule their classes. And so then we sat there and he, he gave another little thing, but he, he said something to the effect of, okay, this is the moment when you start letting go. I was thinking to myself, if this is the moment you're starting to let go, you're in big trouble, people. I didn't say that, but I, I was thinking that. And I, I saw it played out because we walked down the hallway like a half hour later, and there was a, a huge room where these, these young people were doing their classes with advisors and people. And they said, the guy said before he left, now they're in that room. It's their time to do their own classes. They're actually not even going to let you into the room. That's how serious we want you to take this thing. 
We walked up there and there were parents demanding to go in the room. There were kids coming out crying because they didn't know how to sign up for a class. I was thinking, this is the result of not letting go for 18 years. So letting go is a, is a process. It's not a moment in time like, oh, it's August, whatever. And, you know, we're, we're dropping you off at State U. I love that, Tim. So tell my audience where they can find more information <laughs> about you and your work and your, your counseling. And yeah, it's, it's all fantastic. Uh, probably the easiest way is, is our website, just at uh, drtimjordan.com. Dr. like Dr. Tim Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, like, like Michael, uh, drtimjordan.com. And there's, you know, there's a page for our summer camps. There's a page for the books. There's a page for the podcast, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's, we also, one of the things we did um, this spring was we, we put out a, an, an online parenting course uh, for parents of girls. And it's, it's um, the title of, of, the, um, of this online course is Parenting Girls, the challenges girls face today with their feelings and friends and what they need. I put out a, a survey to all of our, our mailing lists saying, if I was going to do an online course, what are the most pop, the most important topics you want more information? And the top three things were friends, feelings, and phones, <laughs> or wow. social media. And so I decided social media is, I'm working on that one. That's the one of my, my other new projects. I'm working on an online course just about social media. But I, I go into great detail about girls' emotional lives and, and how parents can support them and what and their friendship lives and how parents can support them with that. So you'll find all that information at just at drtimjordan.com. Excellent, Tim. Well, no, seriously, this was really fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Hi there. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. They can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, daily prompts to move in the right direction, sync directly to your smartphone, and a subscription to my weekly newsletter where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.